as the kids are filing out, uh, let, let us let's just open our Bibles, if you have it with you, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like a free one, just please lift your hand. Uh, we would love to run one to you. That would be our gift to you, as long as you promise to read it uh, every once in a while. And so, uh, so, so last week we dove into uh, the Gospel of Matthew again. We believe very firmly in walking through books of the Bible uh, so that we can see things in context. Uh, and we can understand more and more what God is teaching us through His Word. Uh, and, and lastly, so that we're not cowards of it. Uh, meaning when we get to hard parts, uh, we, we can't just skip over them. We have to walk through them uh, in a desire to hear God speak to us, even in the difficult moments. And so, uh, But last weekend, we launched into chapter 21, and it wasn't really hard at all. In fact, it's a very celebratory uh, set of verses as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. And now, at the end of this week in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, it will be difficult in that Jesus will have been arrested, Jesus will have been put through a trial, He will uh, be uh, flogged and beaten and tortured, uh, and then He will eventually breathe His last breath on the cross. That's the hard part. But on Sunday, as He enters into the city, He does so as a king would enter in triumphantly. Uh, in fact, uh, we got to see this, this incredible moment play out where the people who have assembled for the Passover celebration, they line the streets and, uh, and there are people that are laying out their cloaks for him to enter in on uh, as he's riding on the back of a donkey. There are people who take palm branches uh, and they, they wave it and they lay it down and the whole crowd is shouting the same thing. They're, they're shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna uh, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And, and their, their message is an indication that, that even for a brief moment before the cross, Jesus is seen and he is worshipped as our Savior King, which is who he has been the entire time. But now we get to see the crowd respond accordingly. And Hosanna, the word simply means save us. Uh, the son of David is simply this truth that, that God has promised there would be a king who would come through the line of David. And this is a, a major designation to give toward Jesus. And, uh, and we have this great opportunity in these pages to see Jesus more clearly. And, and what they thought they were getting in Jesus is actually a fraction of what he has accomplished. Uh, because as he comes in as the conquering king, uh, they believe, the Jewish people believe that he was going to come in guns blazing, uh, that he was going to release them from the oppression of the Roman rule that they were under. And what Jesus actually does is, for us is something even greater than that. He releases us of the oppression of sin that leads to death. And by doing so, he grants us this opportunity, this, this pathway to restore what once was a perfect relationship with God the Father. And so we get to celebrate him uh, in these words. And Matthew's been very deliberate 
uh, all through these last 20 chapters. In fact, if you've been here since 2015, we've been going through uh, this gospel together. Uh, but, but he's been deliberate this entire time uh, as he writes primarily to his Jewish readers uh, that, that we would see the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus. And there's promises aren't anything new. God doesn't just come in and say, hey, I'm changing things up. No. In the Old Testament, he says, I have promised you a Messiah. I have promised you one who is going to rescue. And all Matthew is doing is he's saying, our king is here. Saying, the guy you've been waiting for, he is here. He is here in full force. In fact, let me connect you to his promises of old and how Jesus fulfills every single one of them. And so, so we get to see this happen from a greater vantage point than they did. Uh, we get to see this on the hindsight of the cross. We get to celebrate this in the hindsight of the resurrection. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit bringing these things to life in our hearts. And so we get to see more clearly what they saw very dimly in and so, and, and I think uh, that in these scenes, we see how Jesus has made a way for us to live a life to the fullest. Okay? And now let's not misunderstand what I say by life to the fullest, because we tend to think life to the fullest as life to the extreme, right? Where we're all like driving dirt bikes and jumping off of things and swimming with sharks, you know? Uh, that, that, that's not the life that Jesus has brought. What the life Jesus has brought is a life to the fullest in the sense that we have purpose. That, that we understand who we are because of who Christ is. Uh, life to the fullest meaning that we have peace in the midst of troubling times. That we have insight in the, in the moments when everything else seems to be very dark and dim in our lives. That Jesus brings us life to the fullest so that we can live a life for the glory of His name. Okay, so, so that's what we get to celebrate. And this morning really will just be a continuation on what uh, Jesus walked into as the king last week. He's just going to keep showing ways that he is our king. And he's going to do it by going to church. Uh, and, and it's a really awkward scene if, uh, for some of us. Because uh, you're like, Jesus did that? Uh, and if you grew up believing that Jesus was like, Hey, everybody, I just want you to be my friend. Um, he is not trying to gain uh, a po- win a copulated contest today. Uh, in fact, he's coming in Chuck Norris style, uh, and he is making things happen. So let's pray, and then let's, let's dive in. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the privilege of your voice in our lives. And I pray as we walk through these six or seven verses this morning that, that we would be very mindful of who Jesus is in these moments. That we, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would be listening for areas of our lives that need to be adjusted. But more than that, we we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit that He would grant us eyes to see your Son and to see Him magnified. We love you and we thank you that you allow us to speak to you. We thank you that you allow us to cry out and lay these requests at your feet. And Father, we just wait in expectation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, 
Amen. Amen. All right, so there's a lot, there's a lot going on in, in six verses. Uh, and you're like, six verses, that's all? We're going to fill up our time this morning on, on these. Uh, and I think perhaps it'll be best spent understanding there are going to be two lanes that we kind of drive down, but it's in the same road. So we're going to kind of swerve back and forth. Uh, and so, so one of these lanes, though, uh, is going to bring us a very real warning as, as a body of believers about what God wants to see happening in his church. Okay? Anytime the church assembles, there are some things that God is going to say, I want to see, and we're going to see it to the vantage point of it not being done correctly. Okay, so that's going to be one lane. And then this other lane, we're going to see three more ways that Jesus declares his kingship. Uh, that he comes in and he says, listen, I want you to understand I am your Messiah. I am your Savior King. And, but both of those things will be done really on the same road of, of seeing Jesus at play. And so, again, last week in your talk notes, we're going to get you kind of building some momentum. Uh, last week we saw Jesus start building... Uh, declaring his kingship by riding in on a donkey. Uh, that's the first blank you can fill in this morning. Uh, and this was in line with the prophecy of uh, Zechariah in chapter 9. Uh, and then in Psalm 118, Jesus rides in on a donkey. And we said what's significant about the donkey uh, is that uh, it's, it's the symbol of peace. That as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he does so indicating, I am bringing you peace. I am going to bring you peace with God, and I'm going to bring you peace with man. Okay? That's what we get to see in Jesus riding in on a donkey. It's not because they couldn't find a good, strong war horse. Uh, it's not because they couldn't get him a carriage or a cart. Uh, he walks in very deliber- rides in very deliberately uh, on a donkey, and this is where we're going to uh, pick it up. He walks in, people have been shouting, and he goes to church. Okay? There's some wonder about if he goes immediately or if he goes on Monday. Either way, he's going to church. Okay? So this is what happens in verse 12. All right? Chapter 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple. And I love how matter-of-fact Matthew's going to just point this stuff out. Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Okay? Now, I don't know about you. I went to a Ranger game a couple weeks ago, and you have, there's always, I don't, I don't, he's not there anymore, but there used to be that hot dog guy, right? And he'd be like, ha, right? That, okay, for some reason, if I'm trying to let you live this out in real time, right, this is the movie that you have a guy that's like, pigeons, right? And he's just trying to sell you pigeons, right? Come get your pigeons. And, and so, so you have this scene that Jesus walks into, and it is chaotic. It is chaotic. He can't take it. There's guys selling pigeons for, for profit. There's people exchanging money for profit. Uh, and so he says, we're having none of that. And so this is the way Jesus is going to first declare his kingship this morning. He does so by cleansing the temple. He does so by cleansing the temple. He, he sees business overriding worship. And he says, this can't take place. He sees business overriding worship, and he says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And as it turns out, Jesus didn't create this. In fact, a little over 500 years before, uh, the, the, the book, uh, the prophet Malachi talks about Jesus walking into the temple. 
fact, he says it this way. In fact, Malachi, it's, it's a great book because it deals with some of our, I know, it's really sad, uh, deals with some of our frustrations, uh, God's frustrations with our pseudo-worship. Uh, the, the worship that looks a lot like worship, but it's not worship at all. Uh, it's just this process of appeasing ourselves to make ourselves think, to make ourselves look more presentable to God. And he says, I'll have none of that. But there's this moment in Malachi, uh, in the third chapter, when, when, when God addresses this. And he talks about what Jesus is doing, doing right here in Matthew 21. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way uh, before me. So that, that's John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's, this is Jesus. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, so that's Jesus, our Savior King, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, the the priests, And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in former years. So he comes in and he goes, listen, when Jesus comes, he's cleaning out the temple. Because what you have thought is your very best is not even remotely close to your very best when it comes to what you're giving God. And so Jesus teaches us something very important about the way it's supposed to work. So he comes in, and Malachi speaks of God's messenger of the covenant restoring the worship life of the people of God and purifying the priests. And again, Jesus does this, but he does this uh, in ways that people didn't expect. Because by all means, you don't kick out the church people, right, if you're at church. Uh, The idea is you kick out those other people who don't look like the church people. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You've completely missed this because the church people in this scenario are the problem. They're the problem. In fact, he walked into this scene where people were bustling in the outer court of the temple. uh, And what they called that court was the court of the Gentiles. Uh, Because if you weren't of Jewish heritage, uh, you could still come worship God. You just couldn't come do it inside the worship center. You had to go into the welcome area. Uh, And it's in that place somebody had this great idea. Hey, let's set up shop. People need to change their money because there is a certain, um, a certain currency that the temple would use. And so they'd say, hey, uh, maybe you give me $10, I'll give you $5 worth of temple tax, uh, temple currency. Uh, and, then, uh, and then you would try to sell your, the pigeons, which was the cheapest of all the sacrifices. And so you had these Gentiles who deeply wanted to worship the living God. And the church got in the way of that. And they say, we can turn a profit on this. And Jesus says, that's, that's not good. And I think this is, instead of, of worship, Jesus finds a commercial business filled with scores of people selling sacrifices for profit, taking advantages of uh, money exchange. And so in his righteous anger, and understand this, Jesus is right to be angry in this situation. Uh, he drives them all out. And I think this is, I told you, there's a lane we're going to drive through where it's a warning to us. Uh, and I'm not talking about just the church in general. Uh, I don't know if you ever do this with your kid. Have you ever told them, um, hey, I'm not responsible for raising those other kids? 
So don't come to me and say, well, their parents let them do that. Uh, their parents can let them do that. Um, but I'm responsible for you. So, so when we talk about this this morning, I'm not talking about church in general. Okay? Because the way other churches want to operate, that's their prerogative. That's between them and God. But a very serious warning about what we do here at Merge. Okay? That, that's what I'm bringing. Um, is that the purpose, that there are specific purposes for us when we come to worship together. Uh, when we come to lift high the name of Jesus. And, uh, and, and I think ultimately what we find in, in large capital letters is that the church is not an enterprise. Okay? It, it was never intended to be an enterprise. It's not a business. Uh, and I, I barely want to call it an organization uh, because it's not supposed to be that. It's something much more special uh, than that. In fact, uh, there are a lot of ways we can misuse church. In fact, I, told, I was telling Misty this morning, my struggle with this passage is, is that really I believe it's a warning to pastors. Uh, and I believe it's a warning to elders about the operation of your church. Uh, but, I, but I think ultimately what this is, it's a misuse of the church in general. Uh, and, and I think there are a lot of ways we can misuse the church. And a lot of the ways that I'm going to say here are ways that I have misused uh, the church in the past. And I know how dangerous it can be. I think a lot of people can come in and misuse church believing it's a country club. Uh, that there are people who are here and it's their job to take care of you and to service your needs. And so you come in and you say this, well, what do they have for me? And then when there aren't people that are there to serve that need, you say, well, they weren't able to feed me the way I want to be fed, which is just like at a country club, right? If you don't like a country club, not that I've been spending really any time at country clubs. Like, what kind of a pastor is this? Um, but if you don't like that, you leave and you go to the next one. And you look for them to fit, to fill in all of your house hunter goals and your wish list. There are some people who come misuse the church, believing that if I just come in on a Sunday morning for about an hour, hour and a half, um, then, then all of the sin that I'm living unrepentant in during my week, God gets off my back for it. Because I come in here and I say, oh, hey, my bad. And then I continue the rest of the next week living the same way. But somehow, if I just come in on Sunday, my guilt is relieved. And you have to ask that question, who's giving me this guilt and why and what am I doing with it? And why is it never really relieved if I feel I need to come back the next week and the next week and the next week? A lot of people want to come into church because they don't have anything to do um, really at all in their life. And they want an activity center. <laughs> they want you to fill up their time. They want you to fill up your kids' times. And it's, just, it's, a, it's a complete misuse of what God has assembled in the congregation and the reason why we come together. In fact, when the church is viewed uh, as a business or a country club or an activity center or, or whatever group you want to call it, anytime it's being misused, anytime it's viewed in that light, it struggles to be a place that is for the ministry of reconciliation. That's the purpose. We come here to render our hearts to God so that by what God is doing in our lives, we can help those who are far from God find life in Christ. That's, that's the entire purpose. It's just like um, your, your tithes and your offerings. That, that's not a bill. That's a price of admission. 
That's part of an act of worship that comes out of your life, that God multiplies resources for the glory of His name. And I think this is what Jesus speaks to in verse 13. As He's clearing it out, He's telling them some things. And my bet, my guess I should say, is that He just keeps repeating these words as He's clearing them out. It's not that He says it very slowly and loudly, that He just keeps repeating these words. So much to the fact that Matthew remembers it and writes it down. He says, I will never forget, Jesus came in and He said to them, it is written. It is written. Okay? So, God has thus declared it. My house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. But you make it a den of what? Robbers. Robbers. So, there, there's two phrases that combine uh, here from the Old Testament. The, the first one is that my house shall be called a house of prayer. It, it's from the book of Isaiah the 56th chapter, I'm sorry, yeah, 56th chapter, 7th verse. Uh, and here in Matthew 21, the people of God were actually preventing the nations from praying. And this is what it says in Isaiah. It says that my house shall be a place of prayer, that all of the nations shall declare my praise. That all of them, all of them. And here the church is actually getting in the way of doing the one thing that God has said. This is what this place is going to be. Four. And then the second part of that verse of, of 13 is likely a reference to Jeremiah chapter 7, uh, verse 10. And, and it's a, in, in Jeremiah, there's this temple address in which God disciplines his people. Um, and he's disciplining them because they keep offering these ritual sacrifices while intentionally living in disobedience to him. Uh, in fact, I think the wider context of the verse is, is really helpful. It's worth quoting um, if for any other reason that it, it landed heavy on my heart this week, and I don't want to be the only one. Uh, and so if it lands heavy on your heart too, welcome to the club. So, so God says this, and he's talking to his people. He says, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go to other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name? And say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all of these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So he's dealing with these people that say, okay, I'm going to play the game of church life. I'm going to play the. I'm going to have activities coming in and out of my life where my footsteps look very religious, but my heart is very distant. I'm going to create this concept in my mind that God somehow is very unaware of my life unless He's in the church building, unless I am in these walls. And God says, "This game that you're playing is foolishness, because I see it." And so here's what we know, that God saw it in Jeremiah's day, that God saw it in Matthew 21, and God sees it today. He will not be fooled, and He will not be made a fool. So, so Jesus is our holy King, and He comes in and He teaches us something about our footsteps. He says, that is unacceptable. So what do you do when you find something that's unacceptable, that's not holy? You drive it out. You kick them out. And you're like, well, I thought Jesus wanted to be my friend. He does. He wants you to be holy. 
You mean Jesus is going to walk into those places in my life where I am trying to take advantage of other people and tell me that's not acceptable? Absolutely. Because your story isn't about your story. It's about His. So you mean to tell me that Jesus is, is less concerned about being popular in the moment than He is about uh, refining my life? Absolutely. That's an actual word. We just made it up. So what, what can we learn about what God wants in this church from, from verse 13? Okay? There are a lot of things God wants from the church. Okay? This is not an exhaustive uh, two-step process. Okay? But from verse 13, there are two things that I think he tells us are important. That what God wants to see happening in his church, and this is in your talk notes, that, that number one, he wants prayer among his people. He wants prayer among his people. He wants you to pray. He wants you to cry out. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Why? Good question. Let's answer it. Because prayer puts on display our dependence for God. You will never one time in your life pray a prayer that God said, Oh, I didn't know you wanted that. Oh, I wasn't aware that was an issue. Never one time. The purpose of prayer is centering our hearts around His desire. It's declaring our dependence on His ability to take care of us in, our very, uh, in those very moments that we are unable to take care of ourselves. It's coming in and saying, God... And I believe firmly it's a reminder to ourselves that we are not our own. And that we have a God who says, you cry out to me. I hear your cries. I am attentive to it. That his desire is that his people cry out to him because prayer centers our hearts around his desires and it focuses our eyes for his glory. And then secondly, he wants to see service towards others. He wants to see service towards others. That, that, that this is the problem when the church becomes a den of robbers. It, it can't become a platform uh, of service. That Jesus sees money changers and pigeon sellers uh, taking advantage of those coming to worship and he calls them the criminals that they are. Uh, that there, there are uh, very specific guidelines in the Bible, by the way, about how God's people serve God's people. And it says you don't take advantage of them. You don't have the meter running on them. You don't charge interest on them. You serve because everything that you have in your life is a stewardship of what God is allowing you to have. And so you give freely. And what happened, in a very honest moment, I believe, someone said, hey, okay, these people are coming in with the wrong kind of currency. We need to exchange that. Hey, these people are traveling a long distance to come worship at the temple. Um, They can't carry their their sacrifice, maybe we can cut them some slack and we can sell some of it. And I believe that could have happened very honestly and very innocently. And then somebody, the next step, said, well, what if we help raise some money? It's like a cookie sale, right? And, and the bait sale that churches have, right? It's, it's all a scam, by the way. They said, hey, let's, what if we sell it for profit? then the church can benefit from that. And then we can benefit from that. And all of a sudden, what was supposed to be very pure and easy and simple, people are being taken advantage of. And I think the church serves and gives as unto the Lord so that those who are far from God can find life in Christ. And what Jesus walks into is a scene where that wasn't the intention. The intention, it looked a lot like it. 
but it was just a mask to serve our own needs. And, and so the, the, the market and the court of the Gentiles was actually standing in the way of people um, meeting with God. And, and so I think the warning to us is we have to be vigilant. Uh, we have to be aware that practices like that don't grow up here at the church. That they don't grow up. And, and I want you to take note of, of what happens next because I believe there's a direct connection. Okay? Jesus is going to kick people out who are taking advantage of the church, and then all of a sudden, some incredible church stuff can happen. Okay? Some incredibly beautiful, life-changing church stuff could happen. Okay? So here's, here's what we get to know. Jesus is going to declare his kingship by simply healing. Simply healing. So, so Jesus moves in, and he moves in in power. Verse 14, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. What a, what a novel idea, right? That the brokenness of people would find healing in Christ at church. I know. Crazy. So, so this isn't just a scene here of, of righteous anger. right? That's typically what we think. Like, oh man, the day Jesus lost it. Uh, no, you see this, this moment of righteous anger, but then you see this beautiful moment of divine compassion where Jesus heals. Some were welcomed into the temple, including the blind and the lame, individuals who would have not been allowed in, by the way. The church would have stood at the door and said, it's fine, you can be here, just not in here. Could you imagine that here? that we find people who are very misfitted, and we say, you know, we're thrilled you're here. Um, just hang out out there. That's what's, that's what's happening. And these people who are restricted from going into the actual temple have their opportunity to go in, and Jesus is the one who has made, literally made the path for them, and he doesn't cast away the needy. He cares for them, and he heals them. That, that he is... The king, not only over all kings and over all nations and over all leaders, he's also the king over all disease. Uh, there's this, this really, I don't think it's a coincidence, in Revelations 21, it describes this beautiful moment of, of how Jesus is to be worshipped and what happens when you come into proximity with him. Uh, and it's a very temple-like scene that's being described, but it's not a coincidence that in that presence there is no disease or sickness or hurt or pain. And that's, that is, this is exactly what they, they're experiencing. That they get to bring it. Now, here's, here's, I heard this quote a long time ago. That if, if there are people in your church um, and they don't make you uncomfortable, then you don't have the right kind of people in your church. You with? That's easy. That's easy because we all kind of live in suburban America. And we kind of like hanging out with all the people that kind of look like us and think like us and vote like us and do things like us. But if we are not colliding with people who are far from God, then you, we don't have the right kind of place. We don't. We're not building the right kind of relationships. If everybody in our building is already a Christian and you've yet to talk to anyone about Christ, then you're not doing your job. And this becomes a very misuse of the church. Did I step on all of our toes or just some? Okay. Mine just hurt. So the actions 
though, of Jesus are noticed. And this is usually what happens. When Jesus does something incredible, the church people want to come talk about it. Uh, And rarely is it a high five. It's usually a scolding. So it gets noticed. And, And so we get to see the reaction. Verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes, I love that. Matthew always says, but... Uh, when it comes to these people, and I think he's given us a very subtle indication that they are buttheads, um, but, uh, but that's, I can't prove it in the Hebrew. Um, so, but when, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he, being Jesus, did, and they saw the children crying out in the temple, what an incredible scene, right? The children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Okay, I think there might be a connection, either they know this, or they've seen their parents declare it. And what a great lesson for us parents to understand that your worship of God is noticed by your children. You with? So the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, the church people uh, were, uh, what's that word? Indignant. Snootily mad about it. That's, that's what indignant is. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Do you hear it? And they're all huffed and puffed about it. Do you you hear that? Do you hear that? And Jesus says to them one word. And I love it. Yep. (laughs) Do Do you hear what they're saying to you? They're calling you the Savior King. You're gonna, you need to not do that. You need to not take credit for that. That's, that's blasphemy. And he simply says, yes. And then he turns it around, and I believe he just kind of pokes them. He says, have you never read? And he's going to take them to uh, Psalm 8. He's going to take them to Psalm 8. Have you, have you never read Psalm 8? He simply says this, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. You prepared praise. And leaving them, uh, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. I love it. I love it. That, that Jesus declares his kingship here, lastly, by accepting praise. By accepting praise. This is, this is the issue. This is what they were all, this is what the church people were all hot and bothered about. That Jesus is accepting praise. And he says, not only am I accepting that, but do you remember Psalm 8 where it says, Out of the mouths of babes you've prepared praise? You, you, you remember that? That's a psalm that is designated for the praise and the glory of God alone. And Jesus says, What they're saying is right. And what I'm about to remind you of, what they're doing, is very fitting for me. He steps in and he says, I, I am. It's fitting for them to do that. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing because it is, it is of the utmost. And if you were seeing things more clearly, you too would be shouting from the rooftops. And then he walked out the door like a boss. Love it. Just leaves. Walks right out. We don't get to see a further conversation with him. I believe he very firmly just said it and just walked out. His job's done. Right? The people came in. They were healed. So he goes to Bethany, which isn't very far. So let's start, let's start wrapping this up. I, I told you earlier, we're, 
we're traveling down two lanes on the same road, right? Uh, that, that we find a warning to merge about the dangers of making church something extra than what God desires, okay? That's, that's it's a very real warning that, that keeps me up at night. God, are, are we becoming the people that you've called us to be? Are we doing the things that you've called us to do? And when we look at the entirety of God's word, that becomes very simple, are we people of prayer? Are we people of service? So, so that, that's, that's one of those lanes. And then um, we see this, this other lane where Jesus further declares his kingship as our Savior King. And so, so, so we come back to a very pertinent question in light of these verses. And it's simply this. Why was any of that important? <laughs> like we sat here for 30, 35 minutes. Why was, why was that important to us? Um, why, would, why is it important that Jesus would clear the temple? Why is it important that he would heal the afflicted? Why is it important that he would receive praise that is due to God? And, and I believe very firmly uh, that it's important because we've been invited into, uh, we've been invited to investigate what God has done for us in Jesus. That, that I, I used to think that the invitation to follow Christ is, is a leap of blind faith. And it, it isn't. Because if it was, then the Word wouldn't exist. The Word exists so that we can see very clearly who Jesus is. So we can investigate who Jesus is. So we can chew on these words and say, okay, what's, what's going on here? God doesn't just say, hey, come in blindly believing that all of this is true. No, He says, come Taste and see that I am good. Come taste and see that I have told you and have spoken truth. And not only have I made promises to you, I have fulfilled every single one of them. That I have came, I've come and I have made a way for you to be rescued in Christ. And so these verses are very important to us because we get to see God fulfill and be truthful to His Word. Even though, I should say this, even though He could have just said it, He could have just said, hey, just blindly believe that this is true. And He would have been fitting to do so. And we, we say this quite a bit. He, he never once has lied to you. You might have had a different expectation for the outcome, but He has never once lied to you. And so, he gives us the map and he shows us all along how he's been making these connections. So these verses are important, not so that we can tell people that Jesus, you know, turned tables over in the church. Not so we can use these verses as weapons against people. These verses are important because we need to know, first of all, what's resting in our hearts. But secondly, so that we can see the glory of God put on display. So that what happened in the Bible is still happening today. That I think our fitting response to these pages should be deeper steps into His story. 
Because, because the deeper we go, the more we have the opportunity to experience a relationship with Jesus that not only changes our lives, but changes the lives of those around us. Jesus didn't die just to save you. And this is what we get to see. That our Savior King is here. That our Savior King has come. That He has done for us what nobody else could have done. And this is all demonstrated for us, by the way, out of the heart of God the Father. Because He deeply loves us. So we respond to these verses, not with knowledge, but with knowledge in our heart and emotion. And understanding just how deeply He loves us. Our desire this week is to love God by... Please stand with me. We wrap up. I want to make a couple things available. I think it's very fitting. We talked about God's desire to make this a, a house of prayer. We want to pray with you. We want to give you uh, an encouragement to not... Whatever that is that you're holding on to, whatever that is you're struggling with, we want to help you bring that to light. Not so that you can be exposed, so that you can find accountability and you can find someone to help share that burden. So we'll have some people up here, the Keith and Kim and Troy and Jessica, they'll be up here. They want to pray with you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. We believe today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you give your heart to Christ. And we want to walk with you and celebrate in that adventure. And then lastly, if you just want to take some time and remember what Christ has done for you uh, through communion, we have those elements available. I love you guys. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Father, for giving us your word, helping us see our deep and desperate need for Jesus. I pray you would guard our hearts here at Merge. That as we assemble as a body of believers, we would actually do the things that you've called us to do. Father, I pray that you would help us all understand how flawed that we are apart from your Son. I I pray you would help us understand that we are uh, just a collection of misfits. And I pray you would continue to give us a burning desire to proclaim your goodness to those who are far from you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.